is today's date? All right. The 17th. 17th. Today is October 17th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are now Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony Nakoda, Wesley Chiniki Bearspaw Nations, and Sutina Nation. Actually, Sutina Nation. <laughs> uh, we acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of this land. Oki, Mikochis, Chase Tukomaki, or Red Thunder Woman and Blackfoot. My spirit name is Red Thunder Woman, given to me in ceremony, but my humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. I honor the Blackfoot. My name is Michelle Robinson. I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott. These are very English names, which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavis Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act imposed status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klinchotine Indahe in Dene, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host, and in my case, as a guest. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I can share what I know as I walk down my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after hearing anything we talk about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll-free and open 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. To non-Indigenous, there are distress center lines in your area too. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments, questions, and we are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. I want to give a big super shout out to my super loyal donors, Alexandria, Beatrice, uh, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Kenna, Kimberly, Leah, Marisa, with one S, one R, and Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa, with one S, and Veronica. So I want to thank you all for joining me today. Today I have a special guest. I have... James Taylor. Ani nuina bojo, mena dey was mona dishna kas. Wishkigbanga nishna back, wortas donjaba. Negig dodum. Hello everyone. Uh my colonist name is James Taylor. Uh I come from Curve Lake First Nation. And those are the the names and titles imposed upon our people um back in Ontario from the Canadian government. But my grandpa always said, Menade was mo in addition to cause. Your kind lightning, your gentle lightning. 
Your language speaks to the responsibilities of the place you call home. So that place, the court, is the big waters. That's where I call home in uh, south, southeastern Ontario. And um, I'm so bad. I heard you say that it's October 17th, but it's actually November 17th. I'm so glad you corrected and... that because I totally would have like not picked that up. And neither would have anybody else, I'm yeah. sure. And but I was, was just like, oh, oh, no, should I say something or should I just sit here and be quiet? Like, okay, it sounds so beautiful. I'm going to... Yeah, no, just, I'm so glad you did. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Thank we went you. back in time and now we jump back into the future. Okay, and now we're we for sure in November. Now we're for sure in November. <sighs> thank goodness. <laughs> well, thanks for being on my show. I oh, uh, Thank you for having me. It's really hard because like there's a million things I want to talk to you about. And I know in an hour we can't possibly talk about them all. And um, one of the things about the podcast is it's just kind of, well, actually for me, I'm not going to lie, it's quite healing. Because you know how um, we've talked a million times about, like, there's no real places for us. There's no real safe spaces. Um, what I find with my podcast is I just end up, like, talking about things that have bothered me all week. Mm. Um, and this week, we were actually going to name this one Cherry on Top because Don Cherry. Oh, <laughs> that poor multimillionaire white man that says, all oh, you people. And... All you people, yeah. Oh. But we don't have to talk about him at all because I, uh, obviously, I, w I just want to give you the floor. And mm. um, if you don't mind, like, I, I just want to tell people the first time we met. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give a quick shout out to Kimberly Weaselfat, my one of my favorite activists from I Don't Know More. I love Kimberly so much. Right. Is she, uh, her, Twyla, um Autumn, Kelly, and Wendy Walker, they all did ceremony when I Don't Know More happened for Treaty 7. They, mm. The, you know, grandfathers, grandmothers made them go, like, find their rocks and have mm -hmm. a sweat together mm -hmm. so that they could, uh, you know, have that representation of I Don't Know More and, and uh, be properly representing this area. Obviously, well, so uh, Kim, Kelly, Autumn, they're all Blackfoot. Mm. And who else did I miss there? Twyla's Blackfoot. You know, so like um, you, have, you have this like strong group of indigenous Blackfoot women from this area for Treaty 7. Anyway, mm. Kim was like, hey, this guy's like walking across <laughs> Canada and he's he's releasing the spirits from Indian residential schools. I'm like, what? And sure enough, you just come walking into town. And I met you at the McDonald's. At on, the McDonald's. Yeah, on the west side of the city. And Big a Mac, a quarter, quarter pounder, and then you went out and bought a turkey because it was right around, right around the, uh, oh, what's that time they celebrate, you know, was it where they killed their messenger there, hung him up on a cross. Uh, Easter, that's right, Easter. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, I'm colonially, no. colonial inept at times. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. That, and that's the important part is that, like, you know, you're going to impose this religion and we're going to, like, joke about it and laugh at it. Oh. And, point out the ridiculousness of it really absolutely because I, I still don't get the concept of shoving bread up a turkey's bum because you killed your messenger and then let's go hide some eggs too and yeah. when all essence the whole ceremony itself wasn't even really based on what they're saying out of their book but no. that's a whole other two-hour talk so right you know right and, and, and like you said we could go down this whole road and just <laughs> keep going and going and going but that was that walk really reaffirmed some stuff for myself personally mm. i know that because i've experienced so much overt racism and so much you know hidden racism and on, on vancouver island um while we were there i was getting really shook in with my with my faith in humanity mm. and i didn't know what was going on and 
you know, being struck by lightning, like my name, Minade Waspo, and kind lightning or gentle lightning, yeah, how's it, how's it translates? Um, when I was struck by lightning that second time in my life, when I was older and I just quit drinking, putting putting the drugs down, having my my grandfather come across and say, hey, look, we tried to open you up so many times. Yeah. You said since you're very small, you do all this work, you tell all the stories, you share all the teachings, and what do you do? You pick up that brown bottle and you're staggering around, you're not having a clue what's going on, and you're still stuck, and you can't anymore. Yeah. Because here you are, you know, six months on your sobriety path, and you just got to listen. Yeah. And so because of that experience of being struck by lightning and being taken into that spirit world or on the cusp because there's no, as beautiful and as unexplainable as it was, it's even more beautiful when you truly get to where my mom and my, and my grandpa are. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I talk, when I talk about my mom and my grandpa, my mom actually was my grandmother and my teachings didn't come from my grandpa, but from my great grandpa. So I was raised by my mom and by my, my, mom and dad who are my grandma and grandpa because my sister um, my or my biological mom had been raped by a man in our community mm. um, who would who had you know went to residential school had all those traumas put into them so you know coming as a child of rape I, I didn't get lost to the system though you know the story is that you know it almost happened but because my mom had a vision when she was sick about this little bundle that was moving the blankets you know, and seeing her mom or her grandma at the hospital the day that they came to see me, that was literally taken out the back door of the hospital, the side door of the hospital, and then hidden in community while the first, um, our First Nations, our first First Nations social worker in the Quartus area, Bob Edwards, had um, did the paperwork so yeah. that mom and dad could legally adopt me and I wouldn't be lost. And as we know, so many of our people lost in that that scoop system, that whole, you know, family welfare system um to make the natives better you know they got it they got to be better we're going to take them from these these homes and put them in more horrible homes it's yeah yeah i know um with my book club i uh we we do a book and we talk about in that book how that relates to trc mm. and then the next time we do a section of the trc when we were researching well i was researching about the child welfare system, uh, you know, there's the summary book, but there's like that whole volume of books for the TRC. And they actually go into real deep depth in that on how the child welfare was really invented and instituted through the Indian residential school. Yes. And it, and it was, it, it's eye opening, but it's also sad. And, and, and absolutely is because there is no more residential school, but the mandate is still to break up the to break up the families. A hundred percent. And you know, I'm so inspired when I see our, our people, um, some Nishnabad people back in in Winnipeg who stand up to the system and yeah. have kept families together by saying, "No, this is done. Like, really, this isn't happening anymore." Yeah, it's just racism. It, it absolutely is. You know, it's a the systemic racism is still hard on our people. Yeah. You know, but we are coming together and. Yeah, you know, the shitty thing is that we're very laterally violent at times towards each other because the oppressors, the oppressed learn what the oppressors do and then we do it with each other because yeah. we just feel shitty inside. Totally. You know, and um, I didn't realize that the reason why I feel the way I do or the things that I do really comes from those stories that my grandpa told me when I was small. Mm. So, you know, when I had that experience when I was not in my physical form and grandpa saying how important it was, 
And in doing the work that I do, like I work with uh, School District 61, um, the greater Victoria area in, on Vancouver Island, sharing our stories, sharing our culture, and sharing our teachings, and seeing what a positive impact you're, you're making with these kids. And even when I was working with School District 63, I did it when my son um, was still in school. <clears throat> I, I didn't realize what kind of impact I was making or what my grandpas were making, because I'm just telling the stories, you know, that they told. Sure. That he told. And when I say they, because, you know, like it was, you know, my great grandpa was like, well, as First Nations, you know, we call all our elders, grandmas and grandpas. So everyone yes. in, in, in Curve Lake community that would come out to see is like, hey, look, you know, I got to come and see this, this little guy that got hit by lightning. He's going to, you know, tell him some stories or he's going to tell us some stories. And seeing how those things really impacted some of our children, especially when they're or adolescents and not just their First Nations adolescents. When we talk about this suicide epidemic that's taken our people, and it absolutely is our, our First Nations youth. But I'm seeing on the other side that there's a lot of non-First Nations youth that, that are going through it too. And what I, what I feel and what I see is that, that their spirits are so thirsting yeah. for what, why is this? What is that? How come we're doing these things? Yeah. And I say, well, hey, here's a story. Here's a story of beaver and muskrat. You know, here's, here's our creation story. Here's, a, here's the other piece of our creation story of how the animals got their coats. And just telling them these stories and going through um, the ceremonies as best we can in this urban, this urban setting that we all live in now. It got to be too much for me a couple of years ago. And, you know, doing this, this healing work, this cultural work. I was like, I need something. Like, I need something that's that's not healing that's not trauma it's building up on me i'm i'm going to break i'm going to my my gaskets are going to blow and so i went to work for a grocery store in um in victoria and it was so laterally violent and racist and all these horrible things um but i I just wanted to do something different and i figured that my healing was i want to get somebody 100 grams of ham 100 grams of you know roast beef or whatever because that's where i was but what happened was some of those students i always say you know if you see me out in the boat you come up you talk to me you know that's how i'm going to remember you you're important i need to remember your name there's something about you know what your what your favorite thing is it is so important that we connect like this because that's what we need as a people because we're not doing that anymore we're looking at our phones we're looking at our tablets we're doing all these things that are taking us away from being who we are or or at least contributing to the part of forgetting about who we truly are. Mm-hmm. And so I had this, a few students that see me, it's like, oh, Mr. Taylor, oh, oh James, <laughs> oh, Gentle Lightning. And they're, they're coming up and I'm trying to sell ham, but I'm talking with these people. I'm hugging up these, these, these kids, these youth. And they did bring their parents back. And the big thing that, that really hit me was when the parents would come back without them, without the student. And they're just like, hey, look, you know, my daughter, my son was in a dark place. You know, they weren't doing good in school they weren't doing these things they just weren't they weren't they weren't being and they said you came in i don't know what it is with the stories and these turtles that you wear or these things that you carry or this old rock bowl that you're carrying this old medicine bowl you're carrying like they, they talk about all these things but whatever you've done thank you because now there's they're not in a hopeless state they're not feeling like this they're not and thank you for making this positive impact on my child and i thought <clears throat> Okay, I'm done selling ham. I got to go back and start doing that, doing that work. Yeah. And within a month or two, I was working with School District 61. And in the last five years, just in my first year, I saw 35,000 kids Amazing. Um, that are telling the stories that, you know, 
they don't realize that prior to 1982, even though the Freedom of Religious Act was enacted for to protect their freedoms, rights of, of all the people, the First Nations people, of all the people, you know, it really wasn't about us mm-hmm. at all. You know, the, the potlatches were still being raided out in the West Coast. People were still getting arrested. You know, birch bark scrolls were still being taken. Our, our medicine people still going missing. Yeah. You know, and now here we are at the murder of the missing. Yeah. You know, it started then. It's still going on today. And we're, know, like, just a quick reminder, we're in the neighborhood where uh, Colton Crochu went missing. This is my neighborhood. We've, you know, raised our and, daughter here. Yeah. And the crazy thing about this neighborhood is one of the elders that I have so much respect for, and, you know, I look at her as an elder, I look at her as her grandmother, but I look at her as one of my best friends, and that's Rose Henry out in, in Victoria. She mm. does a lot of work for our first people. She does a lot of unpaid work for um, our homeless communities, our, our, our brothers and sisters murdered and missing. She's like right there, front line, center all the time. And this was the, the community what almost killed her, is the community that you're living in. Um, she was, uh, her arms had got dislocated. Um, she had been sexually yeah. violated, thrown into a dumpster, mm. and then somehow crawled out of the dumpster, made her way to the to the police to say something had happened, and nothing happened for her. And so she's never come back here, but she's told me numerous times, I want to go back, I want to do this stuff. I was like, as soon as I can get you back, chum, we're, we're going to, I call her my chum. Sure. Um, or my chummer. And um, <laughs> she's like, you, you can't say chummer, chummer, because we call sweet, or we call our sweets chummus. And it sounds so much like, so I'm not calling you chummus, that's my wife, you're just my chummer. <laughs> um, so, you know, like, when I wanted to come back to be here and to realize that it's, it's happened so much to our people, so yeah. many times, and to be here, like, with Colton. And then... With my friend 30, 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Wow. Well, we know? can blow up um, one of our one of our beds. Like, we have enough room for her. If you and her want to come out, just you and her and have a special trip. You, as mm. you know, our door will always be open to you both. Oh, so, that'd be amazing. Yeah. I know she's always wanting to, to go to the Calgary, Calgary place. Like, because she's taken her power back, she wants to take every piece of her power back. You know, mm. and she is a powerhouse. You know, she's, she, like you and Darcy... Uh, uh, your beautiful, amazing husband, who I said I wouldn't be referring to, but here I go. Yeah. Um, you know, when we were, well, it goes back to restoring that thing with humanity. You know, yeah. when my grandpa had asked me to walk across the country, just come into a dream, say, hey, can you walk across the back of the turtle to where the leaders are? Yeah. And the only way I could interpret that is the leaders being the elected officials that are now governing our people. Right. So like, okay, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll do this this big walk. So off I went and, you know, I think four or five weeks later, I, I met you and and everyone here in, in, in Calgary. Sure. But prior to that, like, I didn't know anybody. It was, even this was my son that made that Facebook page, you know, my son Sebastian. He's like, Daddy, you're doing this big walk, and you need to have a Facebook page. I'm like, Bib, I don't need it. I didn't, at that point, I really wasn't social savvy, media savvy at all. Sure, sure. And so he made this, this Facebook page, and because Becky and I had organized a couple of rallies. <laughs> a couple of rallies. In, in That's Victoria. a nice way to put it. One of the, my, I'm just going to brag for one second and say one of my favorite pictures of you ever is when Prince Charles came to Canada with Stephen Harper. And uh, yeah, they have like, you know, the nice formal, you know, all of the colonists in front of this, you know, soldiers or whatever. And yeah. in the back is this, I don't know, Morris side. And you're the one who's holding it. Oh, well, there there so was the, there was two guys. Like, we were there. Um, <laughs> there was, um, I can't remember the other fellas, but they were, we were all there. <laughs> we were all there. And I really 
somehow they pushed this to where it was. I don't know who it was, you know, whether it be the RCMP or whatever was going on, but there was even silliness going on that day that we won't get into here. Sure. But um, the next thing you know, they're like, well, what we do? Like, raise the sign. Put the sign up. Like, and so the sign went up. The picture was taken, and that was one of the most epic days ever. Yeah. You know, and I met Grandma Shingoose there, who I still connect with um, on Facebook. Like, I still connect with a lot of the people that I that I met yeah. across the, the, that big walk. But yeah, that was, yeah, that was nice to be part of that, not even realizing that um, that was going on. Well, right? actually, when I got to Winnipeg, they were like, hey, we got this sweat set up. If you want to go to a sweat, you know, we can go in. We know you've just done this and you've, that's one of the things you're looking to do is to sweat and do all these prayers in, in across the provinces. But we have this really big rally downtown and Stephen Harper, like, I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm there. We can do this. Other, let's let's do go it. down there. Let's, let's do this. Yeah. And I had never seen, like, I heard some, some horrible stories about that man. But when I seen that there was no soul behind his eyes, that freaked me out a little bit. Like to me, right? there was so dark. I'm like, doesn't anybody else see this? I had the and it was at that moment too. Grandma Shingu, she had had a feather, and she presented that to um, the Prince, Prince Charles that day as he was walking by, and it said eleven eighty seven, the first number that they came out with their murdered and missing Indigenous women. Mm-hmm. And I know that the, like I was saying that number is so full of everything, like it's just bullshit. Yeah. Um, because meeting <laughs> as I was coming across and seeing how whatever spirit was guiding whatever the grandpas were kind of bringing to light was that that number and in Regina alone with one of the uh, first responders or frontline workers uh, that came out and walked she had said there were 780 plus in Regina alone yeah so this 1187 is was such a sham but to see the the power behind grandma and the, the resolve that you're going to get this because you this has happened because of your people. Yes. Because of this colonized stuff going on here. Your, your direct family lineage. Your direct family lineage. Jesus. You know, and I've met elders on the West Coast that have, that have said things about having some of the royals visit some of the residential schools and have little kids taken and never seen again. It's like they normalize it from the very beginning, you know, and our treaties and our agreements were never about how we are supposed to sh- you know it's about how we live on our lands how about we live with each other how we're trying to teach you to be here the same way we did with all those ones that came long before Jacques Cartier ever landed on the on the shores of of Eastern Turtle Island sure you know and it was I get so I get so worked up yeah you know because I'm very passionate about this and and, and trying to help them see you know, when, and when I'm in school, like I'm, in, I'm under no false pretense that, you know, I love um, Jody Wilson-Raybould and mm-hmm. I love Derek Nipanak and I love all those incredible leaders out there mm-hmm. that are doing that work. And not just those ones that we see in the news or in the media, but all the ones that are in the behind the scenes, all totally. those little reserves that are out there fighting for the rights of their people, you know, or like Molly Wickham with the Wet'suwet'en uh, people and how they stood up to stop the RCMP and, and the gas lines going through, but... They didn't care that it's unceded territory. No. Because corporation supersedes people. Yeah. And that's 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 a horrible thing that needs to needs to stop because when people realize through the idol no more, and I've found that, you know, this allyship and the, the stuff that kind of drives me nutty with um I stepped away from the, the Sokai allies out of Victoria because I really felt they're still in that 
white savior, poor Indians. But yeah. we're going to be at the front line of, of every protest and have those signs up because we're out there protecting it. It's like, let us say our words. Yeah. Let us say our stories. Yeah. And when they couldn't do it and they're like, well, let's go have another coffee. And, you know, and I'll pick nope. your brain more about what I can do. Like, no, nope. no, 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 no. I, I'm, I'm done with that. I'm totally done with that. $200 invoice minimum for oh, a pick your brain coffee. Absolutely. <laughs> well, even, even, even my partner, my beautiful Koichi Wagen, uh, the person I walked through life with, um, Rebecca Hay, we put on a workshop for for them, um, and they didn't. They were still looking for validation that they were doing right. And I was trying to say, well, you're not really doing right. You know, you could totally instead of having us up here, go bring in some people from from the local community, from the Songhees or Esquimalt or Sardlip Sail people, Pakwichin. Um, bring them here and, and let them tell you their stories. Yeah. But they wouldn't. It's everyone's looking for reconciliation and no one has a goddamn clue what that is yeah you know because for us as first people we don't have a word for rec i know nishnab i don't have a word for reconciliation no. you know because we should have i believe our reconciliation was as soon as we got here we've already reconciled with everything we've come to agreements with everything from the trees to the animals and they had to go through their agreements before they could come down here to be on turtle island yeah. because of the sacred walk that we're going through mm. and and we did that and realized our connection and there's no there's nothing to reconcile with mm -hmm. you know it comes from the book really is the first time I, i'd ever heard about reconciliation and all this yeah, yeah. christianity stuff i know it's hard i um been really blessed the last week or so to be with you know spirit river uh striped wolf he put together a fashion show mm. and um as a result, I got to be around Dr. Reg Crochu and Rose Crochu. And then Resolve is this organization that talks about violence, family violence. Right. And I got to be around them again. And my biggest takeaway has actually been that one, the youth need to be inspired by our words mm. so that they continue to be the amazing human beings they are. Absolutely. And, and I'm just going to take a minute to brag because last night they had the youth the youth explosion event, something like that they call it, where they they basically showcase all of the amazing things Indigenous youth are doing locally. And I got to listen to, you know, kids struggling with anxiety and mm. mental health and, and how they would flip that into art and mm. make silly comic books and silly characters and, and like name their anxiety like Ava and Boris was depression and um, they'd make these characters and such and and so it wasn't really about their mental health issues. It was about the art that come from how they deal with this ridiculousness of colonialism and mm. intergenerational trauma and a system that's not made for us, right? Their, their way of, of, of going through life and um, the single mother who, uh, you know, she was like, I'm completely surrounded by community. I'm supported by my family. Funny enough, it was a British guy who came, got her pregnant, and then left, right? So wow. it's like perfect colonizer story anyway um she was talking about the customs and such of of her family and all of these things and then another mother um you know talking about how uh her her mother got died on from a drunk driver mm. and how it crushed her and how it was dance that brought her back into the powwow circle and and gave her hope again and seeing her she had a baby and her daughter becoming a powwow dancer. Like these things were what healed her mm -hmm. and how important her culture is. And, and I, I just wanted to take that second to brag about our Indigenous youth because 
you know, like I feel like uh, watching the fashion show, this one artist took like the Indian Act registry, you know, that handwritten thing where you write names and make names and all of this. Um, they took that print and printed it on cloth and then made new ribbon skirts out of it and new new outfits to wear. And, um, you know, the uh, Section 35 group, they uh, made fun of Section 35 as a uh, charter of rights because that's ours. Mm. And, um, and things like uh, Edmonton Eskimos, but the Eskimos was crossed out and it was said in um, Inuit, you know, a different language, just really taking back who they are. Like, we don't have to explain to them colonialism. Yeah. It's like they got it. They they know and they're making fun of it and they're owning it and moving forward and, and, and that. And Reg made a very clear point. A lot of times when folks like us are given the mic, we talk about us mm. instead of um, honoring our stories. Mm. And then, like I think of you, I think you always talk about your grandfathers. You always talk about the ceremonies. You always talk about the teachings. And mm. especially if you're in school, that's all you talk about mm. with kids and um, how important it is to always bring it back to them. So like, even for me, it's refocusing how I talk about my family. And if it wasn't for their sacrifices, I wouldn't be here right mm. now, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, just trying to get back to the basics of what are our languages, what are our cultures, what are our customs that we want to teach our, and inspire our kids because they just take it to the whole new level of making ridiculous stories and absolutely right? absolutely because you know i talked about those those leaders like i know <laughs> and they know like they're fighting a system that isn't going to change yeah but they're fighting it and they're doing their best that they can that's why i love and respect the work of miss raybald and you know standing up to the primary saying yeah you fucked up. I'm not going to be your yes Indian anymore. The yes Indians all are all gone. Like we yeah. are changing stuff. My dad told me, well, I'm not sure. I wasn't there to see the conversation, but you know, it's just like, that's the way I felt. I'm like, yeah, take that power. Do that. Don't let them, you know, no. we're not yes people anymore. So I'm knowing that that system isn't going to change. Yep. But here I am working in the schools and you know, yeah, I could concentrate in just the first nations schools, you know, go to the particular ones where there's just a high, you know, population of First Nations kids, but I'm working in all the schools. Yeah. Because those little ones, those kindergartens, those first, those grade ones, those grade two, and I tell them, it's like, you don't even realize the big responsibility you guys are carrying just by allowing me to be in here and tell you the, tell you the stories. Yeah. You know, and walk gently through, like I talk about residential school and I talk about colonization and I make it all age appropriate. Sure. Because I don't see the value of traumatizing Sure. Any kids any farther than our people have already traumatized. That's just, you know, um, <coughs> projecting and putting on someone else. Sure. And so it has to stop at some point. So let's stop it here. Let's say, yeah, those residential schools were absolutely shitty and everything that happened there was absolute garbage. You know, when I hear like that, what was her name? Bayak, the one that was saying there was some goodness that happened in residential school. Ugh. Oh, yeah. Ugh. And they'd be their hands up if the if the shoe was on the other foot. Right. You know, and you people, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I get really frustrated with that. Actually, here in Alberta, uh, Kenny's on record with saying uh, reconciliation is a political ideology. <laughs> and, uh, and you know how awful that is to hear. I mean, yeah. our families survived those stupid schools. And yeah. I actually had the privilege of hearing the executive director of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission at the Resolve meeting this mm. week. And um, 
again, her main message was that this isn't about me. And she kept putting quotes of people who had testified mm. about about the whole situation and um, just trying to honor their words Absolutely. over and over again. Yeah. And, you know, I I know for my family, I can't really get them to talk about it, and I don't blame them. Mm. Um, I think any, um, you know, white person will understand uh, somebody coming back from a war and not being able to talk about it with their family. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it just brings up that trauma, and I obviously don't want to do that to my family. Yeah. Um, and even ready. my family, yeah. my older my older sisters are still in denial that mom and dad were in residential school. Like when I was talking with my baby, she's like, no, mom and, you know, grandma and grandpa were never in residential school. I'm like, uh, yeah, grandma was in, uh, yeah. or I'd say mom, was in Spanish, Spanish Ontario. That's where, you know, and dad kept running away from the boys' school, which was right across the, literally across the road, but they couldn't interact, you yeah. know. And my dad kept running away, so they finally had to take him to... Um, they put him in the St. George's Residential School, which is somewhere on the border of Quebec and Ontario. Mm. Some I'm not entirely sure of where the location was, but yeah, you know, I was lucky enough to hear those stories. Yeah, you know, and the thing was, I when I was in university, hear those elders come up and say, "Hey, you're Marita's son. Yeah. You're Marita Taylor's son. Yeah, you're Marita not. You know, and they know that she married Dad. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, wow, you know, she saved me. She saved us. Wow, you know, when those priests and those those people there were were raping them and sexually abusing them like just physically abusing them she said they'd come out after they were done and they'd be like fuck like you know like i want to go home this is this is hurting though you know this would never happen at home and my mom would take them by the hands and she'd take them to what the i'm sorry it does get a little bit hard sure um but she said she'd take us to the tall grass and sit down and she talked to us quietly in our language and she'd, she'd give us that love that we weren't getting from home. Yeah. And she'd hold her hands and would lay there and we'd look at the skies and we'd watch this, you know, we'd watch the clouds, we'd listen to the birds, we'd listen to all this. And she'd keep reminding us of our connection. She'd keep reminding us of those things. And she said, that's what saved a lot of those women that everyone that came up and had, had said wow. thank you because they knew my mom passed away before any of the, the stuff was had come, come out. out you know, in TRC. Yeah, yeah, late, well, 89. August 89, she'd passed away. I was still still in my teens. Yeah, but our people weren't talking about it. They weren't, you know. And when my grandpa would say, oh, you know, when this one acts like this, don't be hard on them. Don't say anything to them. You bring them fish. You bring them flowers. You know, you just tell them you love them. Yeah. And constantly doing that with our people that we didn't know were broken from the schools because no one talked about it. Um, a couple of aunties came and thanked us after 2008 for doing that for them and we weren't even knowing what we were doing except just reminding them that they're loved and important um, you know I, I just have to interject here because I was lucky enough to be go through your removing the mask trauma workshop just mm. now and um, I've never been in such a safe space I've mm. never been in a place that you genuinely feel love for anybody who's listening when you're around Rebecca and and James what they do is they not just create a safe place, but they legitimately tell you genuinely, I love you. Mm. And they mean it. You mean it. Every time you say it to me, every time you say it to anyone, I know you mean it. Mm -hmm. And um, hearing that and and being in a place where people are not used to hearing I love you, because as you know, Mm -hmm. a lot of our Indian residential school families never say I love you Mm. because it's not something they were taught to do. 
mm-hmm. um, number one, but also there's so much trauma with the schools and parenting and, and never having that. So that that's part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so to genuinely be in a place that you feel safe and loved is its own gift. Mm-hmm. But then your healing powers, like I've seen it, I've, I've felt it. I've been rushed by you and Becky where um, you, like you legitimately take off negative things. Like when we smudge, I always try to visualize like that black darkness coming off of me mm-hmm. and, and going away. But then with you, I feel like you, you get that greasy tar that's like stuck to the oven kind like, I feel that. <laughs> I'm like the easy off. <laughs> yeah, no, like I feel that, like that stuff that's stuck that I think I'm smudging off that I'm not, like mm-hmm. you take it off and then I've seen you heal my dog. Like I've seen you do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I wish I could explain to people, like when you're around Becky and when you're around James, you genuinely feel love. So that's why I'm not surprised the schools would bring you back from mm-hmm. number one. All kids know if you're being genuine or if you're not. Like. Yeah. I think nothing's been crushing my daughter's soul more than going to a school where she knows she's not genuinely loved. Mm-hmm. And um, and that's been really hard on her because, uh, you know, as much as um, I wish the other school, like the situation of its um, leasing and such, like it could be closed any minute, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but those those that school genuinely loves her. Mm-hmm. And uh, to go from that into Calgary Public education and just be so dismissed and when she does speak up have her teachers come at her um like she doesn't like it and I'm about this close if you listen to my last episode Sable talked about her parents immediately pulling her from school when she was coming out because she knew they knew it wasn't a safe space for her and even for me I I don't know I don't know how long she can stay in this Calgary public education because it's not a safe space at all for her mm. you know, i don't well, want to say i know her that to... we're creating safer spaces on the island so please um yeah. come out there yeah. <laughs> yeah the housing the housing market sucks out there and definitely don't do not put that your first nation's looking for housing if you're especially renting because they just do not get back to you yeah and i've seen that um a couple of my friends in in winnipeg were experiencing racism like that and called it right out and i had to you know, sit with it for a while, but my wife and I now we have a, a place. Mm-hmm. Becky and I now have a place in in Victoria with a beautiful family. We did invite to our wedding too. They're just like family. Mm. Um and very genuine people. Yeah. I knew I had the place the first as soon as we shook hands, I knew if I wanted it it was going to be ours. Um but then to do a talk within the district with all the with all the teachers and I was like, okay, I'm gonna do a little experiment here and I'd asked them, I was like, who all here is homeowners? And 90% of the hands went up. Yeah. I said, who all here has apartments for it? And most of those hands stayed up. I said, who else had an apartment here for rent two years ago? And a few hands went up. And all of a sudden, you could feel it was going to change. Yeah. And I really feel that they knew, uh-oh, you were the one that was sending me you, the First Nations man who works with the school, who has a wife who's a social worker, and I didn't get back to you. Yeah. You know? And... I was like, yeah, I said, you guys all got a, an email from me. Mm-hmm. I said, but because of that systemic racism that's taught that all natives steal, drunk, all mm-hmm. these things, um, you know, drug users, violent people, you didn't want me in your space. And now here you are, I'm in front of you ta- talking to you. And yeah, that was me. That yeah. was me. Good. You know, and I was like, oh my goodness. And then you get the people come up and say, oh, I'm so sorry. I was like, that's great. 
I'm glad that you're sorry, but our people have heard words for so long. Yeah. There needs to be action behind those words. And I'm sorry I'm not accepting your apology. No. Nope. Um, until I see a changed behavior. Yeah. What does that changed behavior look like? Yeah. Well, how about I bring into my into my class and into my school to to so we're not afraid of each other anymore. Yeah. You know, so they can have a better understanding of why our people are are down on, on the streets still still lost. And it's because of those schools. Yeah. And to think to think that I am friends with um Pasquas in in Saskatchewan that are younger than me that went to the residential school, the last residential school that was closed blows my mind. Sure. Well I was working in Toronto with these big jobs, yeah. Um, banking, policing, all these things. My taxes were going to do that. Yeah. Still. And it's 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 crazy. Yeah. You know, and yeah. to think that like I was just talking yesterday, um, <coughs> how Martin Luther King and Anna Frank would have both have been 90. So it's not even a lifetime ago that this whole thing has happened. So, no. you know, where's the reconciliation? Yeah, you know? no. Where's the reconciliation when they're still breaking up the families because those children are a commodity? Yes. $250,000 a year is what a child would make the government in the system. Yeah. The policing, the ambulance, the social workers. And why is it these kids are taken from homes when they, people can't afford to take care of their own child and yet they'll take that child and give the give it to a family and give them twice to three times more money to raise that same child. Right. Like that's where the system needs to come down. Yeah. Like it when I first started working with school district sixty three and another one of my friends that I call my brother, it's Mark Newfeld. Um, he, he does this um, International Global Solutions IGS class, kind of its first thing, his own little thing that he was working on with the district. And uh, we started talking about how we're, how do we implement the First Nations history? How do we implement the, this this knowledge into into the into the system? And my son, where this all comes back to, not only shared his teachings when he was in grade eight when his hair was really really long like mine not that it's long anymore it's just big and grows out sideways it doesn't go long anymore um but one of the girls wanted to braid his hair and he said i'm sorry i can't let you braid my hair yeah. he's like why you know i just like your hair and i want to he's like no no that's my mom yeah. my grandma and that it's a family he said but if you were my wife he said then you could braid my hair because this is where my strength is. this is where all my all these things that are sacred to us that that's here and she's like, well, I'll be your girlfriend. And he's like, well, I'm not ready for that. But um, which was super cool. But his teacher overheard him. And she said, where did you hear that? And my son being light skinned, um, gets his Anishinaabe, his Ojibwe from his mom. Um, he doesn't look First Nations. He's going, my dad tells me these stories because, you know, his grandpa. And so I went and started talking with her. And so he, it empowered him to keep being who he was. So he could sit in front of the class and he'd be on the big drum. He'd sing the songs or he'd have the hand drum out, you know, helping when we're doing the smudging with the class with the classes and handing out berries, handing out water and just being that beautiful person. And then when this whole education enhancement agreement happened with school district 63, they're like, you need to come and take part of these, in these, <laughs> in these meetings. And then um, my son started high school and one of the teachers started teaching everyone. Well, the reason the, the buffalo were extinct from the prairies is because all the people out there hunted them to near extinction. And my son says, oh, you can't teach that. Yeah. That's not right. You know, it's a part of uh, Sir John A. Macdonald's starvation policies, yeah. our first prime minister. And he's like, where did you hear that? He's like, well, my dad's got his Bachelor of Arts in Indigenous History. I think you need to talk to him. 
Yeah. Because you can't teach this anymore. This has to stop. And in doing that, that's what that's what led me. And so I went into Mark's class and went to these meetings first. He said, well, where do you think we should start? I said, well, every single book in this district that's based on the First Nations people that is not written by any of us has to get thrown in the garbage. Yeah. There's that's not we're not we're done the half truth and the bullshit now. Yeah. Let's start doing something real. I said, I can come and tell you everything that my grandpa shared with me. Yeah. But that's only the perspective of Orishkigamong, our Curve Lake people back home and southeastern Ontario. But no matter what it is, there's a similarity and a respect for our elders, for our place and amongst everything here on Turtle Island, coming back to each and every one of our stories of why this place is called Turtle Island. And how is it our people called this place Turtle Island? And when you think about NASA firing off those rockets, finally taking pictures of what the Americas look like, you look at how colonial Canada and the United States shaped together looks like a giant turtle swimming in the water. Yeah. You know, like that. Yeah. You know, there was teachers that I, I've taught with. Um, and when I, I finally would get to the story and I put up the, the image of a turtle and the America side by side and they couldn't believe it. They're mm. like, oh my God. It's like, yeah. And you know, and you think of these beautiful things that that has been inspired like in in the island and i i'll own it (laughs) i don't own a lot of stuff because it's always hard for me to do that but it made me so proud um with my 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 kids from hillcrest and the teachers from hillcrest um that are really there's like can you tell us about the medicines can you tell us about all these things like i can tell you about what medicines i carry yeah but these elders in these communities around here can tell you about these medicines and they can help you with what you're looking for yeah. but it takes the matter of going out to to the into community and this is the community you have to go to and they did it and they came back and they oh, like a year and a half me. ago oh I, like I we, have, like here we literally give them names of elders to call yeah won't do it yeah. literally um tell them you know give them an honorarium the minimum minimum uh two hundred dollars for their time mm. and gas and take care of them when they're when they're there that's just so overwhelming for some reason mm-hmm. here i whether it's a corporation whether it's a library whether it's you know like an, i don't understand mm. um there's one organization it's like literally one of the only organizations that's um you know indigenous board members indigenous run mm-hmm. um they're li- they pay me to come out and talk to them every time and I, and I mean I went out and did a talk where I had to pay my own parking you know it, it's just night and day mm-hmm. like the non-indigenous communities here we can like give them every breadcrumb of this is how you do it mm-hmm. and well it just goes in one ear and out the other okay. which is part of the reason why I started the podcast I mean you go through the whatever 70 episodes I have or whatever you'll hear the consistent same thing over and over again mm-hmm yet it's still too traumatizing for non-indigenous to you know write down that name keep that name call Mm. that person and actually do that work so Mm. to hear a whole district hillhurst you were saying hillcrest is is the the one is one of the many schools yeah you know and this program they've had here that i that i was lucky enough to be part of now um this aboriginal nations education department ANED department out of school district 61 um they really have a wanting 
And like I told my now ex-boss who's retired, Nella Nelson, I love you so much. I hope you hear this. Um, I love you and your husband very much, Alex. <laughs> um, to know that she's done all that good work, yeah. didn't have no alphabets after her name, was still a teacher and still did what she needed to do and really made this program the way it is. And when I go into the schools and I start telling our creation story, start when Mark and I went there, he's like, I'm, I told, I'm ripping this right down and we're going to start right at the beginning. And so when I first started working with School District 63, that's where it was. I was like, okay, I'm going to tell you guys all the story that my grandpa told me when I was small. And yeah, it's a story about big animals and a story about a giant turtle. And, you know, I go, so I go through the story and I show the image afterwards. And I say, well, you know what? They have found fossils outside of Winnipeg that are beavers the size of bears, hence a giant beaver. You know, we think of all the, the giant animals. And in the story, they say the time of the giants was finished. So all those animals went and left room for all the other ones to come in, which when we all started with the animals getting their, their coats. Um, there's some truth to this because it's witnessed time and time and time and time and time again for our people. And when I committed to Nella, I was like, I will, I will commit 12 years to, to school district uh, 61 because mm -hmm. unfortunately as much as i i love my brother mark and a few of the people that that were working with 63 they weren't ready they're, they're still stuck in a time where it has to be this way and what they do when you get stuck in that way is you get this pan-indianism mm -hmm. so that might be the way it is for um the people of, of south island or maybe it might be for the people of that one particular community um but we can't do that. We can't send then the kids out who come into Cree territory, into um, Ojibwe territory, into the shared Métis territories that we have um, and say that this is the way it is if you're coming from the West Coast because it's not. There'll be similarities, but you have to really get into the stories and you look at the moon cycles, look at all these other things where the, these similarities are. But you can't go in and say, you know, salmon was the food for all people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was for that community and those people there, but... There's no salmon running down the big boat that I know of. Um, You're uh, right. There is no salmon. Okay. Whew. It's like, okay, because I was really <laughs> grasping at that. Um, yeah. Because I don't have the knowledge of, of the Blackfoot, yeah. of what their, 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 their fish might be here. You sure. know, I know that we don't, I know there are salmon in uh, in Ontario and some of the waters. Yeah. Um, but for us, like my, our, our, my favorite fish is the uh, pickerel walleye. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? Well, no, it's really hard out here. Um, because the colonizers will take ownership of the most ridiculous things and like stock lakes filled with fish that shouldn't even be there. Oh. Yeah, no, like that's just such a common practice here. Mm -hmm. They don't talk to the local indigenous people. They don't work with them. Or worse, they poison the water. So then they compensate in, yeah. uh, in other awful ways, yeah. right? So well, look at the fish farms. They're, they're raising Atlantic salmon on the West Coast. Ugh. Like hello like yeah would you not think maybe if you want to do a salmon farm maybe use the pacific salmon you know maybe <laughs> yeah. get some sockeye but you know you get these um just last year maybe i'll say last year was probably two years ago there was um one of the salmon farms in washington had broke sure and then released like umpteen hundreds of thousands of fish into the water and nothing was said for a day or two and it only took that time for those atlantic salmon to start being caught up in the Brentwood Bay area on the, in the South Island. Right. People were catching these weird looking salmon and they're not meant for these waters. Yeah. They're not meant for those waters, you know? 
But again, if you can take a people and move them from their traditional space into this space because of this, then they can do with anything and everything. And that's the way they feel. Well, I'm just mourning. Oh, I got to share this with you. Have you heard of Jeremy Dutcher? He's a, a indigenous fellow. He's one of the last like 100 people that can speak his nation's language. And he's um, he's a, a pianist. Like a, he went down the classical music route. He, he won that award and had that um, uh, speech that just made me cry. I watched it like three times. This was last year. Mm. Anyway, um, this fashion show, someone gave me a ticket to go see him. I thought, oh, okay, well, I'll support my friend and support this um, indigenous artist who's playing with the Calgary Philharmonic um, Orchestration. I'm like, yep, sounds great. And I get there. And this guy plays um, a song from 200 years ago that was first recorded, one of the very first recordings of his people's song. And he strikes up the orchestration and he starts singing along with his piano in his language to this. I just start bawling. Mm. I didn't even know I was mourning my language. Mm. Didn't even know. And the reason why I bring it up is because he really lit like when we talk about the youth inspiring us he lit that in me Mm. you need to learn your language Mm. now before it's gone um but another thing that kind of prompted that was when we were talking about colonizers introducing different animals here and there i just recently learned and i'm trying to understand the gravity of this is that our people the hair people had a very specific dog that we used to travel with that's Mm. now extinct and they, they think it's kind of like a coyote type husky. That's what it sounded like from it, from what I was reading. Mm. And that, that was our dog. And I was trying to explain to my daughter that colonizers, like we, we have a beagle, right? Beagle straight from uh, UK and how instead of, you know, honoring the animals and the, and, and the language and the culture from this area, they just bring in their their new thing and they've, they've even tried to basically take over the bison thing where mm-hmm. there it's like oh we're in, reintroducing the bison to this land and you know they're the ones who like you were talking about the saviors. allies saviors. yeah saviors yeah. like you know we're, we're gonna save this and it's like well <clears throat> you have to save if you didn't break it oh right but you nailed your messenger across and we have right turkeys it's i guess we're going to frame st- it we Absolutely. ruined this land this is our pitiful sad humble attempt to try to make it better, mm. to try to make it right with the local indigenous communities. Mm. That's how it should always be framed, but it's not framed that way. Then, Yeah, when it's not framed that way, they're not taking ownership. And no. I really think that when I'm in the schools, and I think one of the big things is the teachers were all, I'm so scared, I'm so scared, going to make mistakes. And like, have you made any mistakes prior in your life? Yeah. Mm. Did it help you? Yeah. Well, don't be afraid of them because we're still going to make them together. Yep. And so I'm hoping that over the next, because I've already been there, this is coming up to the sixth year, halfway through the 12-year commitment, and I really thought it was going to last forever. And who knows, maybe after this 12 years, I'll commit to another 12 years with, yeah. with the district to help. But this, to be encouraged. And I'm not saying that everyone's perfect. No. I've, I've suffered the racism there um, sure. in, in the district. Um, one of the big things was one of the schools I'd went to um, constantly for, for four years, it was bringing me in. You know, I'd spend a week and a half, two weeks with every one of the every one of the divisions, going to all the teachers, sitting in the library with with these teachers and everyone. Just because when I talk and I tell our stories, I tell the stories for the kids. But when I talk about the other stuff, the adults know what's going on. 
Sure. You know, because it's a beautiful story for the kids, but you need to hear this piece. You need to understand that when I was in school, my grandpa still could have been arrested for doing what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, and people can make fun of Section 35 of the Constitution. And yeah, it wasn't no, nowhere near perfect, but we weren't going to be included in that at all. It and those was elders hard had hard fought. Absolutely. Section 35 was hard fought. Absolutely. So it was best they could for the time. Yep. And it'll change. History will change again. So it's encouraging Mm. at times. And like this one teacher I went in because I smudge. And she's like, I was coming in. It was just last year, actually. And that's this is what blows my mind, especially around this this individual. But she's... um, she was really taken back. She said, oh my God, you still smoke? Like, Excuse me? She said, I can smell. You need to come to the, into the, the staff room. So I went to the staff room and she was just like grilling me. I'm like, I said, whoa. I said, first of all, you've asked me a question that there's no right answer to. If I say, yes, I, yes I'm smoking or yes, I'm partaking, that's wrong. But if I say no, then it's, there's no win situation in what she had said sure. about this whole because she was referring to marijuana. She, she figured that's what I smelled like. But it was smudge. And I said to her, I said, I've come in here every, for four years, I see you. I smell the same way. I said, you want to go here? And you could just see she went red because she was, oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. That's what I'm saying. I said, then tell me, what are you saying? Tell me, what smoke am I smelling like to you? What has triggered you to be here? Yeah. And she said, well, I'm just saying that you sm- you smell I said, please, just say the words. I said, then we can get through this together. And she's like, well, and I was like, okay, I'm not going to be here to fight with you. I said, I can't even believe you have learned nothing. Yeah. My four years with this school, teaching you and talking with you and being nice with you has done nothing. I said, I got to leave. I said, I'm not going to teach today. I don't know if I'm going to teach tomorrow in this school. I'm leaving. I cannot believe you went there. Yeah. And to have her chase me out of the school. Well, I'm calling my office saying, this is what's happened. I'm coming to see you. I cannot believe this. And so I got, as I'm leaving out, this woman running behind me in her high heels. God bless her. Um, you stops me. And she's like, well, we're, we're, we're friends. Well, well, we're not real friends. Well, we've known each other for four years. Well, we're, we're, not real, we're not really friends. But what I'm saying is you don't know me well enough to imply what I was implying. And I said, are you kidding me? Do you think I just fell off the truck last night? I said, this conversation is over. I said, you put both feet so far in your mouth. Yeah. You're trying to make this. I said, I know you're scared for your job right now. I said, because you're thinking I'm going to run down there and have you fired or whatever. I said, but I am going to the office. I am reporting what's going on here. I said, because this type of stuff has to stop. Yeah. And so when I got to the office to hear that not only did this happen to me, but it happened to our Métis couple that went there. It happened to one of her other um, Nishnabakwa that was up there doing some drum teachings um, where she had brought her car and they had her car towed and she was literally just bringing the items from her car into the school. And they said, you don't have to go back. And I'm like, oh, I am going back, but just not today or tomorrow. I got to calm down because it's not about her. She needs to have this piece opened. Yes. And so I've got three requests from that school from separate teachers this year. She didn't make her whole school request like she had done in the past. And that's her own That's her own shame. That's her own guilt. It's not mine to carry. Sure. And she shouldn't carry it either because it's just the systemic stuff that was taught that we're still trying to fight through, you know. And for every good, there's going to be a little bad. 
yeah. there's being more and more goodness. Like when I walk into my school office and I say, I see the kindness stuff. Be kind. Be gentle. Be open. Be teachable. Be teachable. Mm-hmm. You're not always right. I'm like, I love this. I am in the right place, you know, yeah. for sure. Yeah. <sighs> well, you know what? Maybe we should end and just go have a smudge. Oh, um, has it been an hour? It's been an hour. It goes so quick, wow. I know. I'm going to need to uh, ask you to come back on my show whenever you want. Especially oh. if you have um, an event or something special or you, or you want to do a teaching or something yeah. like that. Like, Well, definitely. I, I look forward to, like, I'll definitely be on the show anytime. Um, I'm definitely coming back in the third week of, of January because when you refer to our Removing the Mask of Shame workshop, um, it is a powerful thing that we've done, my wife and I, and it's something that came to me while I was in university. Sure. Um, through our, our our mask, and it was one of our uh, one of the profs was doing this this piece of just let's all make a mask, paint it up, and it, it grew from there. At that point, I would just putting my bundle back together. I'd just been struck by lightning that second time. I just had Grandpa say all these things that I need to start doing in life. And when I was in class and people were putting that mask, all of a sudden people were getting triggered up so bad and it was crying and everything was breaking down. So then I went into that whole, you know, that healer type thing, I guess, or just hmm, the responsibilities that grandpa asked me to carry. Sure. It's kind of boom, like a snap. So I bring out my smudge bowl, bring out the stuff. We start talking and start talking. It's like, well, then we have to remove these. Yeah. These what this is representing is that shame that we're carrying all of our faces yeah. from the systemic stuff that's taught that we didn't even realize the stuff that we face every day out there. And so what are those words? How does that look? And all of a sudden this blew into what it was. And we've done it. I've done it a few times across the country and only in the last um, year and a half, two years, Rebecca and I have been doing it together. And at first it was hard for her when we, she's like, well, can we do it with our, our son first so I can see? Like, babe, it's a bit heavy, but okay, we can do it with Seb. Like, our, thank goodness our baby, even though they've had their traumas, you know, like my son, my true son and my true daughter, um, my true son and true daughter suffered a huge, a huge loss in their life. And Becky has suffered huge losses in her life. Her mother was murdered when she was 18. Her mom was 39. So then her first husband was taken from her on their honeymoon and he was 39. So when I turned 39, oh my goodness, Becky, it just, it was hard for her. It was like push and pull, push and pull, push and pull, push and pull, you know, like, because that was a a hard time for her. Mm -hmm. And so they got through it together. So we're going through the, the, the thing with her, with our son. We're building that mask on his face, you know, putting it in, putting it in. And I could see she was getting very like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. I said, babe, it's okay. And Seb's like, yeah, mom, I'm fine. It's okay. He said, but if we had some music playing, I would be easier for me to stay calmer. He said, I think if I can offer that to you guys when you do your workshop, have that in the back so that people feel that. But I know that um, that can sometimes distract us. So that's when we put all those good words. Like if someone, like in the last workshop, when someone was starting to feel a little bit uneasy, we just went to them and said, hey, we can take this off <laughs> you right now. And it's it, you're not in that space. Yeah. But what needs you to feel safe? What needs you to feel here? Mm-hmm. Is it okay if I rub your arm? I was saying to her. Mm-hmm. I said, this is what I do with my daughter. I, I'll caress her arm. I said, okay, if I just, just rub this part of your head. I said, this is, how I, this is what I do with my daughter. And I let her know that she's loved. I said, you are loved. 
and you're so brave and you're so strong and you could see that taking all that ugliness that was leaching out through tears and the panic and the anxiety was starting to calm because we're filling it in with that positivity yeah and that love that we didn't get and it's not our parents fault because they wasn't yeah. taught because of the residential schools you know so that removing the mask of shame workshop we've heard um people go to treatments for six or eight weeks to get to that space that they get from our two-day workshop right you know and it's not we're not going in there that it's ours and it's this and it's that and it's everything it's just a piece because our grandpas need us to know these things yeah you know when you base it out of culture when we have the smudge going when we have that the teaching of that and i'll ask people what can you can you tell me the teaching behind the smudge Oh, I smudge my ears to see better, or smudge my ears to hear better, my eyes to see better, mouth to speak better, heart to be in a good way, things off my shoulders as we go through. I'm like, yes, that's exactly how you smudge. So can you tell me the story of where that came from and why? And it's crickets. It's mm. okay. It's okay. You know, the, the grandfathers just went off. Yep, yep. Did you hear that? <laughs> and it's, um, it's those stories, yep. you know? And our stories don't come from, oh, some man came down from a big mountain carrying two two pieces of rock that we all had to learn on. Mm-hmm. Even after he's told, don't throw those down on the ground. And what did he apparently do? He apparently whipped them on the ground because everyone was looking at a, a golden uh, cow or something. Kind of like what's in front of the UN building now. But hey, we don't need to go there right now. <laughs> um, but when you throw rock down on the ground, yeah. they turn to dust. So yeah, they got these 10 commandments or these 10 instructions. But in that dust, maybe because they don't know how to live them. And if they say, oh no, I'm a good Christian, I'm a good this, I'm a good that, and you're still racist, yeah. and you still have these, preconce- these preconceptions and these judgments, please, in your book, tell me where that is right, because I believe um, the one you call Jesus Christ, and the one that we say in our petroglyph teachings back home on the rocks, the bearded man that walks amongst their people. Mm-hmm. He was here amongst the people here. How did he get here? Did he get over here on a great big boat? Did he get over here on an airplane? How did he get here? The Mm. fact is that he was here because he followed those things that was told. Mm. When we bring all that spirituality back into part of this workshop, when I share that teaching behind that that smudge ceremony, that, that, that personal piece of that, it somehow put something inside people that some don't even know was gone it puts pieces in people that they knew was gone there's people because becky and i have been open and loving and sharing with our teachings our culture and who we are who don't drink today six seven years now on the island who had went through aa had went through all these things but getting back to the culture getting back to their culture empowering them enough to say hey look you need to go sit in your big house you need to go do these things yeah you know and them feeling powered enough to do it that it wasn't scary and now here they are still with the struggle but at least they're not boozing anymore because that piece is right inside because of that story because somehow that little eight-year-old girl or seven seven year-old girl walked with all those people to the the black hills when white buffalo Catherine was here yeah when we got these ceremonies when we got that ceremony Mm. we got the ability to understand each other um when White Buffalo Catholic talked to us, all the people, the Coast Salish people, the Lakota people, the Anishinaabe people, the Haudenosaunee people, the Dene people, all the ones that came down there. But because of the colonization residential school, all that piece is done. 
So now you see as, um, oh, that's only something that they do over here. You go to the other mountain, when you go to the mountains, it's like, oh, that smudging is only something you do on the other side of the mountains. And yet it's inside an abalone shell mm. that comes from the West Coast. Mm. You know, it's all part of that story. Mm. And when you give that story and realize that it's all meant for all of us, everything, yeah. Yeah. you empower the person. Because it's not anything that we do except the words that were shared from the grandpas. So it's the grandpas that are still doing the work, that have been doing the work for tens of thousands of years. Yeah, I just want to share real quick before I forget, because I'm awful uh, with my memory. Um, Reg was saying, you know, here, we're here. You can see the mountains right from here. Mm. And he tries to remind us that when we feel lonely and we feel upset here, <clears throat> We're always with our grandfathers here, always, always, are always watching us. Mm. And that if we just stop and and be on the ground and look over at our grandparents they know, or grandfathers, they know, they're watching us. Mm. And we are never, ever alone here and that we can pray to them. Mm. And that we, um, the ground is here, that like my dog's just coming to me and laying on me. We're always with, always, always centered. Mm. If we listen, if we work at that and, and listen to our spirit. Mm. And it, I'm, I'm grateful for Dr. Rej Kroshu being That's so awesome. free to teach these things and remind us. Mm. Um, so if there's any Indigenous youth that are listening right now or any Indigenous at all, mm. you know, just remember that the ground is always there with you and your smudge is always there. And always. the animals are with you always and always. that you, you are never, never, never alone. Mm. And... There's other thing, There's one other thing I want to talk before sure. we end this, and it's probably going to be, I'm going to try and keep it short. Sure. Um, and it's around the skirt shaving I see so much in yeah. our community. Yeah. And it's gotten to a point where our women are like, oh, it's a colonial concept. It's a colonial this way. It's like, I'm sorry, but nowhere in our teachings is any colonial thing coming around the skirts. But us being connected to all things around, and, and I wouldn't say mimicking, but... Um, our environment shows everything to us. And so when we're in ceremony, um, this is just the way I, my grandpa had explained it to me. And I don't want any, I don't want anyone to feel that I'm saying you need to wear a skirt because you just need to be who you are. But a long time ago, when ceremonies were still men's ceremonies for the, for the sweat lodge, for purification, because men can't purify themselves the way that our, our, our women can. And we know that our women are strong. Um, when we'd go to ceremony, we look at our surroundings, and it comes from the trees. When we have life here, and I always do this one plus one, like can you tell me one plus one equals what? And everyone will say two because that's what colonial people say, one plus one is two, and that teaches us ownership, I tell them. But one plus one is man, woman, child. And even with the trees, you need to have a male tree and a female tree to have, to have baby trees. And when you look at a male tree and a female tree, and I got this teaching from Pauline Shirt and Vern Harper mm -hmm. um, in Ontario, um, where she had interpreted, and when you look at the trees, a male tree on um, branches, like a, a maple tree or a cedar tree, they, they go erect. They're, they're almost like they're bending up. Mm. But when you look at the female tree, she skirted down her, her boughs and her... Her um, leaves and branches are down. Mm. So that's what we're representing is that we understand all things around us. So it has nothing to do with colonial stuff. But because of residential school and because of the racism, because of the colonial shit that we go through every day, 
The men don't understand that. And those broken elders, those broken healers, and we still have them. We're, we're, we're going to have a generation yet still to get to where we need to be with our healthiness and around ceremony, which is why I always ask permission. Mm-hmm. Is it okay to smudge you here? Is it okay to do this? I'm going to be doing this now. Do you feel fine with this? Because too much is people just going in there and not respecting that stuff because you have to wear a skirt because mm-hmm. that's the way it is. And like the organization I was with, and I questioned question their elders when it came to the doing our ceremonies because they're west coast people and where it came from this side it did you know the smut the the sweat lodge and they said the teachings are men like this women in skirts they said why well that's just the way it is that's not the right answer tell me why the women have to wear a skirt to go into that lodge well that's just the way i was taught okay i understand that but why were you taught that? Because that's the way it was taught. That's just the way it has to be. I was like, if you can't tell me what the simple teaching is, what that that essence of where that comes from and why we represent that, then no, they don't have to wear that skirt. And how dare you try to shame anybody? Mm-hmm. How dare you put your shame on someone else because you don't know? Mm. It's more easier to say, I don't know. Do you know? Could you tell me? Is there someone you know that might be able to share something with me? Mm-hmm. And until we allow ourselves to say i'm sorry i don't know Mm -hmm. i'm still learning Mm -hmm. this title i'm given i'm trying to live up to best that i can can you help me do this until we can be able to say i need help let's make that normal because we've done it for thousands of years Mm -hmm. no no one's ever been better than anybody else Mm -hmm. as we sit here on on our chairs my ass isn't higher than yours Right. It's still on the ground. Yep. Same with uh, the puppies. They're, They're on the same here. Yep. And when we realize that everything is the same, we walk outside, we're walking on the earth, the trees aren't above us, they're taller than us, but they're still there with us on the ground. Yeah. So we're never alone in the things that we do, mm-hmm. even as dark as things are. Go sit by the tree. People say, oh, it's tree hugging. No, it's not. It's being connected back to Mother Earth. And we've done it for tens of thousands of years. Let's get back to doing that again. Mm. Let's get back to empowering our youth because every one of our ceremonies, every one of our teachings from back home, it came from the kids. Mm. It's the kids that are the leaders. The elders are the leaders. The women are the leaders. But now it's it's the men. And then when the men are like, oh, I have to protect, I have to protect. It's not because they're weak. It's because they're so important. Mm. When they realize that, then we get back our own responsibilities. Then we start mending that bullshit colonialism that's fucking killing our people. That male toxicity. The male toxicity and the mucho macho BS. <laughs> James. So thank you so much for allowing me beer and talk you rough for all this time. And I'm so honored. So honored that you'd, you're in my life, let alone that you'd be on my podcast, let alone... That you come back and that you help my husband, you help my dogs, you help me. You guys kept us from starving. And when I couldn't say, hey, look, this is really bad. I need this. Um, I was scared that we wouldn't even be here. But I am so honored that you guys have been there like family. My family didn't go hungry when times, even though we were on that path that was meant for us to be homeless the way we were. um, We didn't let that pull us apart either. You know, yeah. we got through it and here we are, you know, flourishing. Yeah. Even after walking away from an organization that we got paid good money to do the work that we do, 
It's not about the money. It's about the work. Yeah. And the work has to be has has to be clean. The people, you know, you look at Jay Middleton Moss and Rod Jeffries, um, who are two amazing, amazing, you know, First Nations people. Rod's Mohawk. I'm sorry about that, Rod, but I still love you. <laughs> um, mad respect for him. And Jay Middleton Moss being Anishinaabe. You know, she has a, a master's program at the University of Toronto right now on how to uh, create a trauma-free workspace. Oh, hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And when you have hurt people in your organization, <laughs> they're only going to continue to hurt people because they don't know who they are. Yeah. You know, and that's why we walked. It had nothing to do with our boss. Our boss, Nola Jeffries, incredible woman. Awesome. Strong, beautiful. We love her so much. It had nothing to do with that. But... All you can do is pray and hope that that stuff will get out of there and people can continue to flourish to do the good work that they need to do Yeah. on themselves so they can do the work in the community. Yeah. And it took a long time to do the work on myself. Mm. It took a long time to accept the fact that I'm a child of rape. It took a long time to accept the sexual abuses that I went through as a child and you know up into my early 20s until I finally walked away from a lifestyle that was, wasn't good for me, mm. that was leading me down that ugliness where I was leaving myself vulnerable to, to men or women, you know, it was, it was hard work. It was hard work and it's scary work, but that's the best work we can do. Cause when we do that, then we can, we can, can sit down with our puppies, you know, when they're in a bad way, mm. you know, and heal them up. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I'm grateful. Roxy was in a really bad spot until, you got, you came here and you worked with her and she wanted to work with you and it was it's really awesome to see the dog spirits work together like that and mm. I, I can't thank you enough mm. keep my puppy here a little longer oh big witch <laughs> all right thank you you're welcome indigenous have been talking about the issues sharing our traumas in reports commissions and public hearings with each other just so it can be regularly disregarded no more honor our words honor the treaties Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. They don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus. If they are cutting violence prevention programs and services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, know your vote to that party directly impacts marginalized people. Demand they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. The recommendation is the Royal Commission on Aboriginal People the multiple reports about child welfare reform, the violence prevention, and now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and of course our Two-Spirit and Trans. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational justice health institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians they do not understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, they have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties and local politicians, community organizations, sports, etc. Really great article that I said out loud in episode 62 is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. Violence is an everyday reality for me. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, 
As many people do not want to hear indigenous opinion, but sure as hell want to tell us their ignorant opinions. People who know nothing about indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, our rights. Typical microaggressions. And then there's our folks that are dealing with internalized racism, who are gatekeepers, that survive off the status quo. People who are so in their trauma that they stop people trying to do the good work and they deplete those resources. Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. How sad I needed a podcast as a boundary to be heard, but here we are. My hope is my daughter, my family, will be proud in the future of trying to discuss these present-day issues in a way that they can understand. I want to continue by putting cultural safety into action. So you can create a safer space for Indigenous, people of color, those with disabilities, LGBTQ2+, and more. Look at it as first aid for marginalized people. You know, and you can look for all of those cultural safety um, links by just Googling it. Uh, do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Take action to make change. Speak out against racism. Ask questions of those with more understanding. Find allies and create a support system for yourself so that you can help advocate for culturally safe approaches. Take responsibility for your own learning. Read, reflect, ask questions. Do not expect all this learning to come from Indigenous people directly. There are books, podcasts, documentaries. Take time for self-reflection. Be aware of your own assumptions and biases. Question everything you've learned about Indigenous people. And take steps to actively disrupt those stereotypes. Commit to lifelong learning. Be prepared to be uncomfortable. Understanding colonialism and the legacy of racism is an ongoing and dis- difficult task. And I want to say thank you to here2help.bc.ca for their Indigenous um, cultural safety and why I should care about it link. Internalized racism and lateral violence is another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized folks experience by the actual structure of racism imposed on these lands, whether through the Indian Act, Indian residential schools, land clearing policies, the education system, the justice system, the child welfare system. Um, And you can find what is internalized racism by Donna Bevins by Googling. It's on racialequitytools.org. And there's bystander information by the American Friends of Service Committee on do's and don'ts for bystanders um, intervention. So if you're on transit and you see somebody being harassed and it's racist, anti-black, anti-Muslim, anti-trans, anti-indigenous or other forms of oppressive interpersonal violence and harassment, there are tips about how to be a witness and how to take cues from the person being harassed, how to be safe and don't call the police without permission, don't escalate the situation and don't do nothing. Silence is dangerous. communicates approval and leaves the victim high and dry if you move yourself oh if you yourself are too afraid or nervous to speak out move closer to the person being harassed and teach your kids about accountability in a positive way if you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk call the first nation and inuit hope for wellness helpline at 1-855-242-3310 it is toll free and open 24 hours a day seven days a week I want to say thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt. 
my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through your Austrian family and roots and stepping up to teach me how to be a proud Calgarian. It is through you. I am a second generation proud Calgarian. I want to say thank you to my husband for producing and editing the show. On top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child, he has supported me down my journey of the red road. He has witnessed years of decades of racism and sexism. And to our child, who we are blessed to learn from every single day, you honor us. We are honored that you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. Again, thank you to all of those who signed up on my Patreon account. If you did one donation or many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I appreciate your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments and your questions. I've really been appreciating folks resharing the one with Sable. Thank you. Her words are really important to listen to. Uh, those We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And I just wanted to end with that side eye to all those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not your dish. My beautiful cousin would respond, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you for listening.